Jesus makes these audacious claims, and one of them, we're going to look at the verse in just a second, he said that he had defeated Satan. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit today. Have you ever really, really wanted something, and it didn't pan out, and then you just don't know what to do with yourself? And so back in 2014, the University of Kentucky men's basketball team was really good. They had, they were like historically good. They had nine players on that team who made NBA uh, rosters, three others who played overseas. So they had 12 guys on the team who were pros. They were really good. At one point in the season, going into the final four, they were 38 and 0, and they were on course to be the first undefeated team since Indiana in 76. So it was like 40 years, or 75, I can't remember now, 40 years since the last undefeated team, and Kentucky was right there, and they played in the Final Four, and they lost to Wisconsin, who obviously cheated. Uh, really, it was just obvious that they cheated. And so, now, Final Four always happens on a Saturday, so I had to preach on Sunday after we lose for the, fir the first and only game of that season. And I don't know if, if you, anybody else, if you're a sports fan, maybe you do this, but I went to bed that night and I prayed that God would make everything right, that Wisconsin would be caught in their cheatery, you know, and that I, I would wake up the next morning on Sunday morning and, and I would find out that, oh no, that game was overturned. I went to church, I lit a candle, and we're Baptist, uh, you know, and I'm praying, you know, and, and unfortunately, the good guys don't always win. And I remember that bothers, that still bothers me because we had such a good team and we really should have won. And then what makes it worse is that Duke one? It's like, oh my, it's like salt in the wound. It is, that's a really not good uh, illustration of being disappointed because we all have disappointments in life. And, and some of our disappointments are really uh, severe. Maybe you uh, want a politician to win a, a, an election and they don't win, and you're thinking, gosh, this really is going to hurt the country. I mean, that's important. Maybe you have a prodigal. You've been praying for your prodigal for years and years, and they still haven't come home. That's, that's disappointment on a different level. You have a parent who's ill, and you're praying for healing, and the healing hasn't come. And that's real disappointment. You're praying for your spouse, and your spouse leaves anyway. And, and so, in life, the good guys don't always win. But Jesus said, the time for judging this world has come, and the inference is the time for judging this world has come now. And then he says, when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And I, I don't know about you, but when I read the headlines, it doesn't appear that Satan or evil has been cast out. If, he had, if he's not winning, he's putting up a really good fight. And so we read stuff like this that Jesus said, and it's like, okay, well, how does that exactly makes sense. So let's talk about it. I'm going to give you sort of three big questions that folks ask. In fact, this is the question when a poll was done, if you had, the question was, if you had one opportunity to ask God one question, what would your question be? And the number one answer, in fact, it wasn't even close, was why is there so much evil in the world? 
super interesting, a, a statistical quirk about that was uh, married women uh, were three times more likely to ask this than anybody else. So I don't know how, what you, uh, where you put that or you know, what that means. But anyway, it's kind of funny. So when we ask this question, why is there so much evil in the world, we kind of come to, there's this, there's this assumption that's made. Uh, either God wants to stop evil and he can't, or he could stop evil, but he won't. And neither thing puts God in a very good light. It's like, okay, well, he, he can't stop it, so he's not as powerful as we say. He's not omnipotent. Or he could stop it, but he doesn't, so maybe he's not all-loving. And so it's tough. And when we ask the question, why is there evil in the world? The presumption is that it's always been in the world, and it really hasn't. I mean, God created a perfect world, then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. The, the idea behind this is that it was, when created, it was perfect. And then he created Adam and Eve, and our ancestors, they chose to sin. It's this thing called free will. Now, God gives us the ability to make choices. We can choose good or bad. We can choose uh, right or wrong. We have these choices that we make. But when we make choices, we don't have really uh, very often the ability to not deal with the consequences of our choice. Now, a little bit before my time, but kind of in my era, there was a doll Mattel introduced called the Chatty Cathy doll. Some of you might have had a Chatty Cathy doll. I did personally have a Chatty Cathy doll. Uh, I grew up in an era where if a boy picked up a doll, we gave him a truck and told him to go on. Uh, so it's kind of different today. But anyway, that, that's how it was, and look how good we turned out. So, um, But the Chatty Cathy doll, from what I understand, uh, I have it on good, uh, good authority, that it had a little loop on the back with a string, and you pull the little string, and it would talk to you. And Chatty Cathy would say things like, let's play school, you know. Or, and then the one that kind of gets me, Chatty Cathy, would, I'm not going to do the Chatty Cathy voice anymore. Uh, it just doesn't seem right for me. Uh, Chatty Cathy would say, I love you. Now, I do also have it on really good authority that Chatty Cathy didn't mean that. That she said that she loved you, but she probably really doesn't love you because she's programmed to say she loves you. Now, God could have created us like Chatty Cathy dolls with a little loop on our back and a string, and every time he pulled it, we could say to God, I love you. But it really isn't love if you're programmed to say it. And so God created us with this free will where we choose whether or not we say or whether we love God or not. We don't choose whether we say it or not. We choose whether we do it or not. Now, it's caused problems in the world. We have evil in the world. There are kind of two kinds, really. There's natural evil, there's moral evil. Natural evil, you understand, hurricanes, uh, tornadoes, wildfires, that kind of thing. Um, famine. A lot of times, those are even man-made, if you think about it. Like wildfires, a lot of times, that's just poor forestry management. We, we haven't cleared the underbrush, and so then it causes wildfires. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, famine, we, a lot of people will look at famine and say, well, see, that's proof that uh, people starving, that's proof that God doesn't exist. But 
In the world today, every day, there are we, we produce enough to give every person on the planet over 8 billion people. We produce enough to, to give 8 billion people, each one, uh, 3,000 calories a day. We have enough food. It's just getting food where it needs to be. Some of that is governments are um, wicked, with wicked leadership, and we give money to certain governments and they use it on their own devices and they don't give the wealth to people that they need to give it to. There, there are lots of reasons, but natural evil is the product sometimes even of moral evil, which is when, uh, when people deal uh, wickedly with one another, people against people. And we're kind of born with this nature. It's called a sin nature. The Bible teaches that we're born with a sin nature. We don't have to teach our kids to sin. I never instructed any of my girls to be selfish, but sometimes they were. I didn't teach them to be you know, uh, angry, but sometimes they are. It's just how it works. And so we have this sin nature. Nobody taught me how to lie, cheat, or steal. I just learned it all on my own. Uh, I have that capacity within myself and I don't know about you, but sometimes that, uh, that evil that lurks kind of inside comes out. Have you ever said something that you don't even know why you said it? It's like, have you ever asked the question of yourself, where did that come from? Because that happens to me sometimes. I'll say something or I'll do something and I'm thinking to myself, where did that come from? Well, you and I, we have this sin nature now the question, the logical question is, didn't God not anticipate that giving us free will would cause this pain, this evil and suffering in the world? And I think he, he's, he's um, uh, omniscient. He knows things. I'm sure he knew that. But if you're a parent and you decide that you're going to have kids, you sit down, you think about it, okay, we're, it's time for us to have kids, and you have children, you have children, but you have to know when you have kids, there is a potential in every child to rebel. You know it, I know it. When I have kids, when we had kids, in the back of our minds, we knew there's a possibility that they would suffer disappointment or that they would have pain and heartache. And there is certainly a possibility, a potential in their lives to disappoint us as their parents, to turn against us as their parents. Now, we know that going in, that that's a possibility, but we also know going in that there also is this potential for tremendous joy and love and meaning. And so when you have kids, it's a little bit of a, a gamble. You're, you're gambling that you're going to be the kind of parent that this child needs and that this child will respond the way you want them to. And most of us in this room, if we've had kids that are very old, will say they don't always respond the way we want them to. And God would say the same thing. I have 8 billion kids, he would say, and they don't all respond the way I want them to. Now there's a second kind of... Um, question, and that's this, is there an evil force in the world today? Well, Jesus believed that there was, that, that um, there's an evil 
orchestrator, if you will. He has lots of aliases in Scripture. Uh, Jesus mentioned a minute ago Satan, and it's all, he's also called the devil, Lucifer, the accuser of the saints, the father of all lies, the tempter. And Scripture talks a lot about temptation. Temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires. That's our sin nature within us. And so it's like Satan sometimes goes fishing for us with temptation, and we take the bait. You know, have you ever thought to yourself, how dumb is a fish? Because obviously there's a hook there. Now, I think lures today are really kind of sophisticated, so maybe they can't tell. I don't know. I mean, maybe fish are super bright. Uh, I don't really know. But I've always thought, man, you know, I think I would see that hook. Well, okay, but do you always see? You might take the bait and not see the hook. These evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death, and there's this sort of domino effect, and bad things happen. Jesus put it this way. The thief, the devil, Satan, the accuser, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he's really good at it. He's really good at it. He's had years and years to perfect his craft, and he is remarkable. And so, question one is, why is there evil? Question two is, is there somebody orchestrating the evil? Question three, why doesn't God just put a stop to the evil? I mean, He is all-powerful, then why doesn't He just stop it? Now, a couple of things you really need to understand is, one, He is restraining evil, even today. Satan doesn't get his way completely. He doesn't get to do everything he wants. And so God restrains evil. I think God restrains evil all the time. I think God restrains evil in our lives often. I think, you know, if it all went bad, uh, we, we would really, if God took his hand off, I think we'd really understand it then. Something else. Um, just because he hasn't done it yet, doesn't mean he's not going to do it eventually. Look at what it says. Evil people will surely be punished. Now there's kind of a future element to that. But there, it's going to happen eventually. I heard this story about this young bride, and she was, it was her wedding day, and her mom comes into her room, and she's crying. She's weeping, and you know, it's like the mom is like, I knew it. You know? <laughs> you know? And so she asked her daughter, what's, what's going on? And she said, well, mom, you know, we, we're, we're Bible-believing people, and, and we believe in hell. And I just found out my fiancé, he doesn't even believe in hell. How can I marry him? The mom thought about it for a minute, and she said, you go ahead and marry him. We'll teach him there's a hell. So there's that kind of you know, thing that goes on. Um, to be honest with you, God restrains evil, and he has been restraining, eliminating evil. And there's this, it's this deeply wonderful verse found in 2 Peter. And, and it is... You know, all the Bible is inspired and all the Bible is beautiful, but there are certain verses that are just... (laughs) There's a difference between a wafer cookie and a Cliff Bar. You know, Cliff Bars are dense and they have a lot of stuff to them and wafers are, you know, like light and airy. This is a Cliff Bar verse. It's it's dense with with meaning. And he, he says, "...the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises." as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. All right, so 
you might think it's slow, but the Lord doesn't think it's slow. He's not slow. I think this helps me. Um, I want things to happen immediately. We live in a microwave world where we want things quickly. You know, we have an air fryer at home and a microwave. Which do you choose? I choose the microwave. Now, Miriam, she'll wait that extra 30 seconds for the you know, air fryer, but it's like, not me, man. I'm, I'm sticking something in the microwave because I want it right away. And when it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness. Well, our understanding of slowness is it's the fastest it's ever been because we live in a world with technology where everything is fast. We have computers and telephones. And what do we want when we need the knowledge? We want it fast. And yet the scriptures say God is doing this. He is patient with you. Aren't you glad? He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, everyone to come to repentance. There's this, there's this beauty to that verse. Americans don't really like soccer. I just, at least, just played in a soccer tournament this weekend, and here's what happens. I was listening to the conversation with a couple of older people behind me, and if they're older than me, they're really old. Uh, they were behind me, kind of talking, and and so the clock on a high school game runs down to uh, you know it starts at 40 minutes. You have 40 minutes, and they play 40 minutes ish. So like in basketball. You know the quarter is eight minutes or the half is ten minutes or whatever it is. We know exactly when it's going to end. In fact, in basketball, the last minute goes down to tenths of seconds. So it, at 60 seconds, when it goes to 59, it's 59.9876. You know, we want to know the tenth. We want to know if the shot goes off before the clock runs out or not. Not in soccer. In soccer, the game isn't over until the referee says it's over. He is the only one that dictates the stoppage of play. Now, in soccer, they play some, and sometimes people get knocked down and they get hurt. <laughs> if you watch uh, soccer in the big leagues, sometimes they fake like they're hurt. And the referee has this watch, and he's keeping count of how long these people are on the ground. You know, So it's something called stoppage time. So they play, and then the clock runs out, and then they have stoppage time. And on television, they'll tell you it's five minutes of stoppage time. Well, it's five minutes-ish, because in the, in the five minutes of stoppage time, guess what can happen? Stoppage. So now you add stoppage time to the stoppage time. You don't know when the game is over until the referee blows the whistle. And in this world... We would like to know, okay, well, this is going to be over right now. That's why there is so much of this prophecy stuff. When I was a kid, there was a book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1988. Guess what? That dude was wrong. So he wrote a sequel. You remember what it was? 89 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1989. He missed it by one detail. Guess what? He was wrong again. I think he stopped after that. He might have written 90. I don't know. We want to know when it's going to be over. And this verse basically says, you're just not going to know. 
This is like soccer, not basketball. It's going to be over when the referee blows the whistle, or in this case, blows the trumpet. It's going to be over when God says it's over. And we trust, look, you have to trust when you're watching soccer, you trust that the guy who's the referee knows what he's doing. So in soccer, if, uh, if the time has kind of, we think, run out, but there's action going toward the goal and there might, there's a potential score, he lets it go. He doesn't blow the whistle if somebody's about to score. He lets the play play out. That's this verse. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He's wanting everyone, everyone who's been drawn and called, he wants everyone to come to repentance. And then he'll blow the whistle. That's this verse. So, three facts that we really need to understand. We're extremely inconsistent with this. We want to know, but, you know, we say things like, if I was God, I would take care of this situation. I would zap these people. Really? I mean, we think we would do that? If you've ever said, and I think most of us have, if I was God, I would... Well, okay. What would you do? Because now you're not just... (laughs) You don't just get to zap people. God has the zapping ability. He just doesn't zap people. You say, well, if I was God, I would zap all the murderers. Okay, well, but Jesus said, you've heard our ancestors say, do not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, even if, you have, if you're angry with someone, you're subject to the judgment. Yesterday, I, I would have been zapped when I was driving my car. I watched the soccer game. I'm supposed to conduct a wedding at 3. I'm in TR. I have to go to Landrum. Okay? So I leave my house, and my GPS says, arrival time, 3.01. Estimated arrival time, 3.01. So uh, I am driving like I'm in NASCAR. Because... I'm doing it for the Lord because <laughs> I have a wedding. I have, I have an obligation. You know, I got to be there. I didn't drive fast for my own sake. It was for Jesus. You know, I, I'm speeding for Jesus. Is what if a if a cop had come up, I would have said, "Dude, I'm I'm speeding for Jesus." You know, I, I've got a wedding. And so, every slow person in front of me, if I had been God in that moment, zap. I'm zapping the fire out of people. I'm zapping them and them and them. And aren't you glad you don't have that ability? I mean, I'm really glad that God is in charge because if I was in charge, we'd all be in trouble. And then there's this, when bad things happen, we say, why me? Why did this thing happen to me? I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but how often do we why me when good things happen? Like, you get a promotion, or you catch every light on Wade Hampton. Has that ever happened to you? It happens to me. I live right. Uh, uh, Every light on Wade Hampton, you catch all the lights, and it's like, do you thank God for those things? Miriam made bacon this morning. I'm so thankful for bacon. (laughs) The smell of bacon, the taste of bacon. 
I think it should make a cologne, bacon. Uh, for women, uh, it would be irresistible to men. Uh, we love bacon. We love it. Uh, we have hummingbird feeders at our house. <laughs> they are awesome. I go outside. We have, we've got a mockingbird that's hanging around our house. Mockingbirds, to me, are the most amazing animals. And that, that little dude, man, he has got a bunch of songs. His repertoire is wide and deep. He can sing a whole bunch of tunes. He goes from this one to this one. I mean, he's fast. No commercials. Not one commercial in, in my Mockingbird song uh, repertoire. He just goes and goes and goes. We have this tendency to blame God for all the bad stuff, and we just sort of ignore all the good stuff. We're not really all that thankful. Um, in a marriage, you can get focused on the things your spouse isn't doing to the neglect of noticing the things they are doing. You know, how many things are they doing? Mowing the yard or all these, you know, washing the dishes or all these things that have to get done that you're not having to do. We, we, get, we get off a little bit and we live in this amazing time. And I don't mean to belittle anybody's pain, but we live in a world where we have life expectancy that's off the charts. In Jesus' era, in the ancient world, one in every five children died before they were one year old. So most parents in the ancient world knew what it was like to lose a baby. Five in ten children in the ancient world died before they were ten. Half of the kids. If you were a parent in the ancient world, you were very familiar with pain and suffering because every child you had had a 50% chance of making it past the tenth, their 10th birthday. The Stoics used to teach basically a case Sarah Sarah kind of uh, theology. They, they would teach you must be prepared to shore up under distress. There's a guy named Epicurus. He was, he was a Stoic. This is what he said. He said, what harm is there while you are kissing your child at bed at night to murmur softly, tomorrow you will die? How'd you like to be that guy's kid? You know, it's like, wow, thanks for that bedtime story. You know, I'm not worried about monsters under the bed. I'm worried about dying tomorrow. We live in this world where we have anesthesia and we have uh, medicine and technology. We don't live in a more difficult world than our ancient ancestors. We live in a much less difficult world. The difference is we assume that we can fix everything with a program or a law. We can figure it out. We can defeat evil with our brains. So something tragic happens like a, a school shooting and there are kind of there are two sort of camps after that. There are people who will say, well, there's an evil person who did an evil thing. And then there are others who say, okay, we need to regulate guns because we can fix this. Well, 
Laws don't fix evil. They just don't. Timothy McVeigh, he, he killed and injured over 900 people with a rider truck, some fertilizer, and diesel fuel. Evil people find ways to do evil things. It's not a problem with a, a mechanism. It's a problem with a heart. It's just a heart issue. And we think, well, we can figure it out. We can do... Well, no, because we live in a world where people have choices. And sometimes evil people make evil choices. And the second thing that we have to understand is the big picture, we don't see it like God does. And God makes it clear. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. When our girls were young, I think our first two were born, and Miriam was working, and I was still in uh, seminary, and so there were uh, times when they were really young that I would take them to the doctor, and sometimes they had to have uh, vaccines, shots, and I was in a doctor's office one time, I think it was Amaris or Mallory, it was one of the two youngest or oldest ones, and they were little bitty, and it was time for their series of shots, and the nurse came in, and she had the needle. There is a, a special bond between dads and daughters. It's just unique. And our protective instinct is there. And I still, I mean, man, I don't want anybody to hurt my kids, even today. I'm sure it's the same for if you have sons. I don't have sons, but I know how protective I am of my girls. And so this nurse came in, and she had the needle and the syringe, and it was amorous, I'm pretty sure. She leaned into my chest, and she said, don't let them do that, Daddy. Don't let her do that. Now, I held her while she did it. And then Amaris looked at me, and it wasn't just pain, it was betrayal. How could you? And in that moment, I said, Honey, this was for your own good, and it will be better when we go get ice cream. And so uh, that was my answer. Let's go get ice cream. Sometimes we just don't know everything. And then God quantifies this. He says, As far as the heavens, as far as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You're not even in the same universe with his thoughts. There's a mystery to following God. We don't always understand what he's doing. He does stuff that seems very confusing. Talked about it earlier. We pray for something and it doesn't happen. And if I was God, that would happen. And it doesn't happen. And we pray for somebody and they don't get well. And we pray for somebody and they don't come home. And we pray for somebody and they leave anyway. And we've all experienced it. And God says, my ways are different than your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, that is the difference. And Jesus experienced it. One time he was preaching and he preached this odd sermon about eating his body and drinking his blood. And people that heard it 
thought he was teaching cannibalism. And he had this huge crowd. You want to get rid of a crowd, say, hey, let's, let's, let's all be cannibals. And, and that'll turn the crowd away. And the only people left were his disciples. And Jesus looks at them and he says, are you going to leave too? And there's a moment in every life where Jesus will say to you, are you going to leave? When things don't work out just the way you think they ought to, when I don't respond just the way you think I should, are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter... Now, he, he gets a, kind of a bad rap sometimes, but I love his response. Lord, where are we going to go? It's not exactly what he says, but it's kind of what he says. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words to give eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. There's a where are we going to go moment in most of our lives where we just choose to follow even when it doesn't make sense. The Bible says, uh, the third thing, there's a method to his madness. God knows what he's doing. Look what it says. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. There are, there's a method to the madness. And endurance develops strength of character, and char- character strengthens our confidence, hope, and salvation. And through hardships, God develops us and He grows us and He walks with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll not be afraid, for you are close beside me. So the question sometimes is, is it okay to question God? Well, Jesus did. On the cross, He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's okay. But it's a moment where we decide if we're going to go someplace else, or like Peter, we're going to say, where are we going to go? Who else are we going to go to? We believe you have the words of life. There's a great verse, a couple of verses in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We're tempted to lose heart, but we don't. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, the guy that wrote this was not a contemporary suburbanite living in a two-story house with a pool. The guy that wrote this is a dude named Paul who was beaten, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake, falsely accused. It's not as if Paul had it easy. And yet, he he calls this light and momentary troubles. All those things I mentioned, which would be the end of most of us, He calls light and momentary troubles. So think about it like this. January 1st, 2024, you go to the dentist. You need a root canal. I don't know why they're working on New Year's Day, but they are. 
You get halfway through the root canal and the anesthesia rubs off, uh, wears off, and he doesn't have any more. It's a bad day. And then you get in your car and your, your tooth is killing you and you have a flat tire. Now you have to change the flat tire. And while you're changing the flat tire, your phone rings and you answer it and your stockbroker says, all of your stocks are now zero. Well, that's a bad day. That's a really bad day. But on February 2nd, I mean on January 2nd, you wake up and you get a phone call. And this long-lost uncle that you didn't know about has left you $10 million. All right. Okay. Go to Huey Magoo's for lunch. I mean, it's like, it's going to be good. All right, it's going to be good. And then, and then uh, up in the year, you get a promotion. You're, you're promoted to vice president. And you've noticed that you can eat anything you want and you're not gaining any weight and your cholesterol numbers are great. And your wife is finding you irresistible. I mean, it's a good, it's good. You're on a roll. So at the end of the year, if you look back over your year, 2024, how was your year? Well, it started out kind of rough. But that's probably going to be the best year of your life. Yeah, we have rough times here. Again, I don't mean to belittle anybody's hardship, but Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. He's overcome the world. In the autumn of 1944, toward the end of World War II, Germany had been beaten back. They, they had been uh, assaulting other countries, and now they've had to retreat. And now they're within the boundaries of Germany. They're kind of hunkered down, and, and the Allies are anticipating victory. They're having celebrations, parades, and parties, and everybody's rejoicing. Germany is defeated. They just don't know it yet. And so Hitler is devising a plan. And they have underground munitions factories churning out ammo 24 hours a day. And they're conscripting young men and old men to become part of the war machine. And his goal was to make one final assault and divide the British from the North Americans with the idea that if he could cause enough dissension... If he could demoralize the Allies enough that it would put him in a strategic position to negotiate a truce. The Allies thought the war was over. And for all intents and purposes, it was. Just not yet. And when Jesus says things like, in this world you will have trouble, he's saying us, look, you got to know, this is a tough place. You have choices. And evil people make evil choices, and sometimes you live with the consequences of those. But take heart. Eventually, it's all going to pan out. You have a choice. When there's evil in the world, you fight it. And you believe that Jesus has overcome the world. It may not seem like it today, 
But when we're in eternity and we look back, we're going to say, you know what? Those light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the exceeding joy we're experiencing today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for... That's a tough question to talk about today. Thank You for letting us deal with it and giving us answers. I pray that we might walk closely to You and with You, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.